Hey, everybody. Welcome to Engaging the Phenomenon. And today we have two special guests, Rob Freeman and Mark McNabb from Making Contact. So welcome to the show, guys. Thanks very much, James. Okay, so um, for people who are not familiar with uh, you guys, what um, just just in uh, very briefly, who who are you guys? Let's uh, let's start with you, Scott. Rob, yeah, you. We're from Canada. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, nice guys. uh, Yeah, and to make a long story short. You know, when I was a young kid of about 12 years old, 1966, I had quite an um, interesting encounter with something in the sky that was going back and forth. And each time it went back and forth, it got lower to the point where it was up at about 500 feet. The interesting thing about that, James, was that when it changed directions, it was instantaneously. And I didn't know anything about UFOs at all at that age. But it was during the big flap of 1966, all through Michigan and the U.S. there. And uh, uh, all I knew was what I saw in the sky, I thought at the time, couldn't have been one of ours, just because of the way it changed direction instantaneously. Yeah. And that's like, you know, over 50 years ago, right? Like, it's a long time. So I thought at the time it couldn't be one of ours. I knew the military had top secret stuff at that time. But I thought, you know, it can't be one of ours. And it was all written about in the paper in the next day. It was on the first and second page. And uh, I kind of became a celebrity at school because I was the only kid that had seen this thing. Although 200 people in the city of Sarnia, where I lived at the time, that's right across from Port Huron, Michigan, the bottom of Lake Huron. 200 people in Sarnia saw it and they had many eyewitnesses. It was all written up in the newspaper. Police saw it. They sent two uh air force fighter jets after it but it left them in the dust yeah one so anyway fast forward two weeks later a friend of mine and myself went up on the roof of the house uh because he said how can i see a ufo so i said i don't know let's go on the roof of the house and see one clear night we went up there and sure enough hundreds of objects went across the sky a second and a half from one horizon to the other and then 30 seconds later they returned and uh so that one wasn't documented in the newspaper but you know years later mark and i had been doing uh movies children's movies and stuff and quite often in between uh takes you know there's a lot of standing around actors are rehearsing their lines makeup hair all that kind of stuff and it's natural to just tell stories and it came up about ufos and I told my story. Now, little beknownst to me, Mark took that information and he did research. He was interested in the fact that apparently, you know, myself and my friend, we called them in. You know, what are the chances that, you know, this guy who had seen one after scouts, you know, on a Monday night, saw one in the sky. It was, you know, in the newspaper the next day, many people saw it, but what are the chances that He goes up on the roof, that's me with his friend, two weeks later and sees something again that's anomalous. So Mark went away and researched. He came back, uh, you know, several months later, actually. He talked to people all around the world and he said, "Uh, Rob, we're going to go traveling around the world. And I said, why? 
And he says, well, remember when you and your friend were on the roof of the house as young kids? And he says, I've talked to a lot of people and they all believe that you and your friend called them in. And he said, we're going to go traveling around the world. We're going to document this. We're going to try to make contact. And of course, I asked him, who's going to pay for this? And he said, you are. <laughs> but anyway, it's been fun. And Mark, maybe uh, I'll let you pick up. Or James, if you've got any more questions on where you want us to lead with this. Oh, sure. Let's let's go with Mark. Um, so, Mark, from your perspective, uh, I mean, when you heard... Um, Rob's story. What what was your introduction to UFOs at that point? Were you familiar with UFOs or contact or anything like that when you heard Rob's story? Tell you, James. Um, like the biggest thing resonated with me the most with Rob was the idea of these 12, 13-year-old boys on the roof of a house, you know, going up the antenna, little makeshift sky watching kit, um, you know, compass and you know, radios, pad of paper. I found that um, very Spielbergian, <laughs> you know, like a like a close encounters of the third kind thing. And I was nine years old when close encounters of the third kind came out. So I was taken by that. I was taken by the innocence, you know, the childlike, um, the joy that Rob still has today. Like when, when he's out in the field and he's doing what he's doing, as you can see with that picture, you know, he's, you know, it's just still the same sense of wonderment and, you know, captivated by those experiences. And I was taken by that, you know, so it's always for me, it's Rob and I are, I consider Rob and I a great team because, you know, Rob goes right into the scientific side of it. And, and, and I love the research and the story. And when we get out there, we just sort of have a lot of fun with that you know, just kind of connecting to, to people and connecting to different spots in the world. You know, we have been to, you know, 14 countries over the last five years, six years. And um, it's always about telling the story. You know, we want to tell that story of that man who started as a boy and 55 years later now is still looking for answers or truths or, you know, different things like that. So, it's never changed for me as far as that need, feeling that need to keep moving forward and, and see what, see what else we can discover. Yeah. Now um, what I think is, you know, first of all, what you guys are doing, you know, I wanted to do myself for years. I never had the means to, I, you know, I think what you guys are doing by, you know, going around the world and um, basically doing contact protocols and, um, and initiating and, initiating contact now people listening to this and or people that are um you know in the ufo community might recognize that as ce5 or close encounters of the fifth kind um but i i have a feeling that what you guys are doing you you probably have at this point maybe have devised your own method your own approach and and possibly have learned different methods along the way so, and, and, and I, I think what's really important about this is that when people hear about, you know, making contact, uh, just because of the current times, they, they automatically assume that that's CE5 and the CE5 protocols. Uh, but I, what I think is important here is that, you know, making contact is, is so much bigger than CE5, although CE5 is a great and useful term um, to kind of 
communicate an idea like, okay, CE5, we understand that. Um, but it's, it's a very um, useful tool, but I think what people need to understand, and I think what you guys are going to kind of deliver here and show people is that making contact is, is much greater than just say CE5 um, as, you know, as in the CE5 um, initiative and, and the CE5 protocols. So either, um, you know, Rob or Mark, if you want to kind of address um, any of what I just said and the idea of, you know, how, how making contact um, is something greater necessarily than just the terminology of CE5. Yeah, and I will say <clears throat> that, you know, really it's just all about intention, James. You know, the, C the formal CE5 protocol is a way that maybe people who aren't initiated can get started into it. But the bottom line is, is you don't have to, um, you know, go through all those protocols exactly the way it's written. You really just need to relax, have an intention, um, have everybody in the group with the same intention and just, just expect to have an encounter. I mean, that's what I did as a kid at 12 years old. All I really did was we expected that we were gonna be able to go on the roof and, and see something. And we went open-minded and as Mark said, innocent young boys, you know, and it happened. So uh, people don't really have to get caught up into that whole, you've got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this because you actually start going down that road and it kind of uh, binds you up in a way. People say, <laughs> well, we're not doing it perfectly. Or, and they get all they can get all hyper and it's like even get upset at some of the other participants that they're not following the prayer or whatever right yeah you know it's really not like that it's more about relaxing and set your intention that you'd like to make contact with you know benevolent otherworldly beings and just relax and let it happen you know no. that's what we have found Mark, do you, would you like to expand on that? I think, I think you said it really, really beautifully, Rob. It's, it's, it is about intention. I mean, yeah, James, we've had the opportunity over the years. I mean, we've been with Sixto Paz-Wells and Ricardo Gonzalez, and, and these are, I mean, it's not difficult to go online and to get an understanding that, that these are, you know, men that have had a lifetime of contact experiences. Some of them, it's, it's, to talk to them though, they're very grounded. They're just, they're very to their core. They understand that the messages are the messages that they're receiving, whether they receive them telepathically through their dreams, through automatic writing, all these different things that have happened to them. I mean, even to talk to them, just to understand that they've, in a 25, 30 or 40 year period of time, they've only made contacts seven to 10 times. Well, that's not a lot of times, like over an entire span of a lifetime. Um, so what Rob's saying is really true. It's like, you know, we've learned protocols or maybe learned ways of like, when we go on a trip, for example, Rob will probably be able to completely concur with this. It takes us out of our minds as far as where we are in our life, whether it be our work or things that are here. So when we go to to Peru or we go someplace like that, we are disconnected really from a lot of things and our mind and heart 
are completely aligned when we are on location somewhere with other like-minded people that have the same kind of, I don't know, collective consciousness. And, and, and Rob will be able to even go further with this. It's not about seeing lights in the sky. I mean, it's not, it's, it's beyond that. It's, it's, it's about what goes on around you. And, and Rob says this all the time, like you need to be aware of the different level of things that happen around you, synchronicities, coincidences. I mean, we have a list, I think it's 30 or 35 things that have happened over the last few years that we sit there, we're, we're intelligent enough to say, not a coincidence. You know, this is something that has put itself in front of us, like a cosmic carrot kind of leading us across and making us go farther with it. Anything else that you want to add, Rob or James, if you have any questions about that? Yeah, I would say that, you know, Mark is absolutely right. Okay, a lot of people who are doing CE5, they just, you know, live in a town and they might just go outside their town or even go to a park inside their own town. So in a sense, they haven't left everything behind. When we gear up for an expedition, we literally leave everything behind and we show up, you know, in a destination completely open-minded and in that frame of reference of expecting to make contact. And, you know, I live out in the country right now and I never get contact here. And I often think it's because I'm, you know, involved in my everyday things here. And people are surprised you live out in the country. You've got a great sky watching spot overlooking the valley. But I never, I never see anything. There seems to be something in the fact that when you go to a different location and you are far removed from all your everyday stuff, you've got an open mind and things begin to happen. And uh, Mark's absolutely right when we talk about, you know, okay, things in the sky is kind of what gets you attracted to this phenomenon, but pay attention to what's happening around you. Um, we've had so many things. I remember when things really just busted wide open, when we went to Peru and met with Sixto Paz Wells, he told us all the different kinds of things that can happen. He said, there's a lot more, but you know, we only had two hours with him for the interview. We went to his house and the next day we go to Playa Yaya. That's a beach, uh, but an hour south of Lima, Peru. It was unbelievable the amount of things happened. There was lights in the sky. There was, um, Sixto described how he's had on several occasions an effect or phenomenon where people can see him but he cannot see the people or vice versa. We had a situation happen where, you know, when we we're ready to go, we got stuck in the sand with the car. Um, and we were watching a police car go by on the highway, maybe about 800 feet away from us on a road that was parallel to the beach road that we were just off of. We flashed the lights and we were honking the horn. We were screaming, yelling, the police car didn't see us, but eventually he came down the road perpendicular to the beach road into the highway that joined onto the beach road. We were flashing the lights. James, he drove right by us as if we were invisible. <laughs> we looked right at him and he was looking through us like that we were... had told us 
um, Sixto had told us just the day before this kind of things, these kind of things can happen. We were honking the horn. Mark has this on video. Okay, we were honking the horn, flashing the lights, jumping up and down. He went within 10 feet of us and never saw us. Now, this is what I say, like it's the things that happen around you. That very same night, um, you know, it was a smaller setup than what you see in the photo there behind me. But we had been there during the day and we were getting some great shots and it was time to change the one camera for the night vision camera. And I had undone the screw underneath that attaches the camera to the, the rack. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze here. One second. It's a bright light right outside. tight. <laughs> oh, thank you. Pardon me. I've had my vaccination, by the way. It's not COVID. It's not going to get me through uh, Zoom here. <laughs> you know, anytime anybody sneezes, everybody looks, right? I know. It's so 2021. And then they run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyway, I, I had undone the screw. And that's, you know, it's a quarter inch screw. And uh, it's the screw you need to attach the camera to the rack. So I didn't want to lose it. I didn't have any extra ones. And I definitely wanted my night vision scope on the rack for night viewing. So I took it off, I had it in my left hand, and I put it in my pocket. And this, I put it in my pocket and I said to myself, now, will I even chance leaving it in my pocket? The pocket was deep, but I said to myself, I don't want to lose this screw. If I drop it, it's going to go in the sand and I'll never find it. The second I said to myself, I don't want to lose this screw, I couldn't feel it anymore. It's like, where did it go? And I, my hand had not even come out of my pocket. Now, this is just one example of some, so many of the things that have happened to us. And it seems to be all connected with this phenomenon, James. You know, I don't know uh, if you've heard the story about the duplicate check, if you've seen that in one of our videos, but and I don't know if we need to get into that, Mark. Should we get into that today or not? I mean, James, is there anything that you've said so far that you'd like to comment on? And then we can continue with that story because that's a good one. Um, sure. I'll, I'll let you go on with that. But I, I did want to say that um, one, you know, one of the big things, I think, um, is the internal shift. You know, again, you know, a lot of people might be attracted to CE5 or contact. Um, initially, because they're curious, right? They're saying, you know, number one, is the UFO phenomenon real? Are these these other, you know, entities in the in the universe? And, and number two, if there are, does this kind of thing work where you can actually um, invite uh, an encounter? And, you know, I, obviously, you know, if somebody gives it a serious enough try, you know, we're, with very, you know, serious uh, and sincere effort, they're going to have that experience. And uh, when that occurs, it's just, it's a, it's a transformational experience. There's no going back at that point. Um, you know, when you've had one of those encounters where there's no question in your mind that you, you just had an interaction with uh, some other form of intelligence. And, um, you know, that creates a huge internal shift. And I think that's, that's one of the most powerful things about this kind of work. Um, but uh, yeah, Rob, if you want to go on about the check thing, um, go ahead. Sure. And before I forget, James, you know, this is the second time we've done an interview, but 
you are welcome to come with us on any expedition. Oh man, I would love to. I would love to. Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. You know, you would definitely enhance the experience. So you're welcome to that. Absolutely. Um, so real briefly, we were going to Australia. It was Mark, Liz, and myself. And Liz had written a check for her rent and left it in a book. She didn't tear it out of the checkbook. And she lives in Toronto. And um, she left it for her landlord. But she didn't, she didn't actually give it to him. It was, you know... We were going there, was that 2017, Mark? 2017. And it was March, I guess. And uh, we were leaving in February, halfway through February. So she wrote her March 1st rent on the check and left it in the top dresser drawer of her, in her apartment. And she had asked her ex and, you know, they share two sons. And so with a key, because sometimes, you know, she's at work, he has to, be there when the boys get home, things like that. So, you know, they've got a, a good relationship that way. So she trusted him to go into her apartment after we were in Australia and tear out the check and take it down to the landlord. Okay. And he did just that on March 1st. And the landlord took the check. He wrote the apartment number on the bottom right-hand corner and he wrote it in his ledger. He took it to the bank, I think a week or two later, and while we're in Australia, Liz watched the check go through her account. The funds were paid. Her, she paid her rent. And everything was great. She was happy. We get back from Australia, and I think we were turning around within a few days to go to Norway, just Mark and I. And Mark gets this phone call from Liz while we're in the boarding area, getting ready to go on the plane to Norway. And Liz is all worked up. And I mean, I could see Mark and Liz on the phone. Oh, and I could see Mark and the look on his eyes. I was thinking, oh God, I hope there's not something wrong that he's going to have to leave the expedition here because it was, it was kind of sounding like that. But Mark, I'll let you tell the rest of the story from that point on. So I get the call from the airport and this is like, I don't understand something that's just happened. And I said, is everything okay? And she's like, yeah, but you know, the check for the rent, you know, the March 1st rent. I said, yeah. He goes, well, the check is still in my checkbook. And I said, oh, I said, did something happen? It didn't get to the landlord? You know, you just think that, right? That's your first go-to. And she's like, no, no, but it's, I see the scan. It's, it's, in my, it's in my app. Like I can see the scan of the check. I can see the, the front and the back, the wet stamp on the back. I, I, I see it all in the app. But she goes, the physical check has not left the checkbook. So I said, okay, that's, that's, that's really different. I said, I don't, I don't know. So, of course, tell Rob and go through the whole process of, okay, go to the bank and go to the bank and get them to print it out. Like print out the, you know, the actual scanning of the check. He does. She brings it back. So now we have the physical check not ripped out to compare to the scan that the bank did. Well, then when we come back from Norway, first thing we do, come over, we're with each other. Rob's putting it up on glass. We're putting a check beside it. And we're just examining it, like completely examining it. It's identical, James. Like it's, it's it, everything is there. Like all the little, every little pressing of the pen, you know, like just every dot, everything. We even took it to, uh, had a, a friend in forensics. 
who looked it over and said, no, 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 this, this check that's in the checkbook is identical to the check that's gone through a banking system. So we go to the bank where it was cashed and said to the person in the bank, would the, would the landlord had to have physically walked in here and physically given you this check to physically have you put a wet stamp on the back of it? And she's like, yes, that's a wet stamp from the bank that he would have to have slid the check over, physical check, stamped it, put it through the system. But this check is identical. It never um, never left the checkbook, or at least not in that timeline that we think. Yeah. yeah. So that's and, something like the uh, A-port phenomenon. Almost. Well, yes. <clears throat> and... This is the whole thing. It's, you know, when we when we magnified the copies up to eight and a half by 11, as Mark said, we placed it on a window, put the other one over identical, you know, and our handwriting specialist says that you can never sign your name the same way twice. A human being can't do it. And if it was a second check somehow that was written, they would not be able to write all the words of the amount of money out and have them exactly spaced the same above the line, below the line, dots, everything. A human being cannot do that. The checks were identical. So we've got two timelines, James. We've got the timeline where it was ripped out of the book, given to the landlord, the physical copy. And we've got a different timeline where it's still in the book. And you know, we were very careful because people said, oh, don't be so silly. Somebody's just done a photo deposit. You know, are you guys crazy? No, that's why it was proven. It was a paper check, the paper check that was taken to the bank and the teller's wet stamp on the back and hand wrote the account number. Now, when you look at the check that's still in the book, it does not have her apartment number written on it because the landlord, when he got the check, he wrote the apartment number on it. So that was written on the, the check after it left the book. And it went you know, along that timeline, went all the way through the banking system and the money was transferred. Yeah, the original check is still in the book. And Grant Cameron has written about this. He said, this is one of the best proofs, he calls it a port, that, that exists yeah. know, in his new book that's coming out. Um, so I guess why I'm telling you about this story we have had so many other things similar to that and other things as a result of being connected to and exploring this phenomenon. And I know Mark will describe it as it's like a carrot or it's like, well, you know, the carrot that they dang dangle in front of the horse to get it to keep galloping. Right. And yeah. it's kind of like, it's proof to us that we're, right where we should be we're doing exactly what we should be these are little winks they're little um things that are thrown forward in your path in front of you to chase after but it definitely tells us we're we're doing exactly what we should be doing and we love it in fact if we don't have interesting things of what we call cool high strangeness happen uh especially on these expeditions then there's something wrong. But usually every expedition, we have a number of strange things happen, including, you know, all the batteries going off at the same time, going out on all the equipment, Mark's cameras, all the iPhones, everything. You know, yeah. we've had strange anomalous things happening with the cars we rent. 
Uh, we were at on an expedition in Manitoba last summer with Grant Cameron and Desta Barnaby, Wendy Gallant, myself and Mark. And uh, the car, did it shut off or it came on, Mark? What happened? Turning off and on while we were in uh, doing the the, uh, the Woodridge. The Woodridge. Woodridge lights. Yeah, we were we were exploring the Woodridge lights. You know, there's all these lights around the world, whether it's the Heston lights, the Marfa lights, uh, the the Brown Mountain lights, the Min Min lights, all of these lights, and we were exploring the Woodridge lights. You know, outside of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and the car just kept doing very strange things. I've got one for James, though. This is a funny one, James, a CE5. We were in Australia. This would have been March of 2017. Um, it was during that trip when we were in Australia that um, we rented a car, just like any car, like you would rent. You never check the license plates. You know, we were with, with people that were into CE5, that had been practicing CE5. And it's just the one night we're all about to go to the beach, you know, and to do some CE5 in the, and uh, someone looked down at the license plate and, and laughed, just started laughing. Damien Knott was with us, you know, who's Australia's UFO magnet. And he goes, do you notice what the first uh, three letters of your license plate are? And we go, no, we look down, CE5. <laughs> yeah. What are the chances, right? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Twice. We, we, we met with another guy. Quick story. Met with another guy in, in uh, Scotland. Went out to a, a castle and, and he talked to us about men in black. He had a men in black experience. It was a fantastic, oh, wow. really layered story. Same thing happened. We drove away and we come back into, uh, you know, Edinburgh there. And while we're there, we look ahead of us and we look at the license plate, first three letters of the license plate. This is an hour after we've met, met and left this, this gentleman. First three letters, M-I-B. <laughs> yeah. Ignore it, right? You can't, you know, you can, you can say, well, it's a coincidence you were talking to a guy that's talking to you about men in black and you see a license plate. It has MIB. It's coincidence that you're with people who practice CE5 and you have CE5 on your own car rental license plate. You can call it a coincidence, but I would apply the same coincidence to winning the lottery because I don't think the I think the odds are too 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 out there. Well, right. and, and when it happens over and over and over again, James, like the frequency of these coincidences and these synchronicities is, to me, it's too frequent to be a coincidence well even and and the idea right so even if something is a, a coincidence say right who's to say that that has no meaning right you know people have framed things oh it's a coincidence therefore meaningless who you know who's to say that you know that there could be a deeper thing you know a deeper understanding about coincidences in general and you know you have the stigma with the term coincidence oh it's just a coincidence Who's to say that doesn't mean something significant to, to begin with? Um, just on a level we're not familiar with. Um, but I, I, I want to shift gears a little um, just to talk. Well, two, two things. One quick question. Have you guys ever thought about writing a book? We have a lot of material. We probably could. 
<laughs> and you know, there's lots of people that are writing books, but I guess you know, Mark's forte is putting that material into video documentaries and and presenting it that way. But yeah. who's who's not to say in the future there could be a book? Don't know. Mark is an English major, so oh wow, yeah, he could very easily write a book, couldn't you, Mark? Yeah, yeah, and I've written out like I have a journal, you know, that journals all of our every expedition, every place we go. I think it's probably two hundred pages. Oh wow, so yeah, take those two hundred pages and probably apply it to a book. You know what, yeah. uh, James? We've been so many places that sometimes some of the stuff runs together. All I've got yeah. to do is ask Mark, and he, he can go right to his journal and get exact information. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just um, about the – so it's going to be a four-part docuseries to start off with? Yeah, what we've got is making contacts – North America, making contact Europe, making contact Australia, and making contact Peru. That was our first two years. We actually did eight countries in our first two years. And now 2017 and 18 um, is, again, more involved. I mean, we, we went to Easter Island, we went to Brazil, we went to Norway more, we, we visited new countries. And then in 2019, um, it's making contact messages for humanity because we actually spent a lot of time in the Andes, like doing a lot of things in throughout Peru, Lima, Cusco, the Arabamba Valley. Um, we went to Atacama in Chile, um, Guanajuato, Mexico. Spent a lot of time with Ricardo Gonzalez. So we learned a lot of next level, as far as I'm concerned, and Rob, Rob feels, feels the same way. Like when you're with guys, like that humans that are so invested in it you know it's like each volume of material that's coming out it's like making contact be inspired was really just the genesis of this you know the backstory like if you want to know about rob freeman ufo world explorer this is my pitch james sorry um go for it <laughs> you know it's 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 basically it's a timeline you know like you you can try to drop in in 2017 to 19 but you're denying yourself of knowing how the everything evolved like not just our thought processes and our consciousness processes but even the equipment you know we we, we smile about the the wmd the weapon of mass detection because it's it's evolved over the years it's like every expedition you know first first year was one camera three months later it's two you know, eight months later, it's three, you know, so it's, you're evolving the science, you know, the science behind all this is evolving um, as you're elevating your consciousness and your understandings and your learning, right, the whole time. Now, getting to um, the uh, the documentary as well. So the, the first part is going to be four parts. And um, is there anything that you guys when you were when you're creating the you know the 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 docu series and you're going out and you're making the contact um, was there like a theme that you were trying to communicate or that you want to communicate to the audience who's going to be seeing this? I'll weigh in on this and then Rob can weigh in on it too. Like this is for us, this is told from the point of view of the every person. You know, this is someone who doesn't know like 
yes, Rob had experiences when he was young. And then 50 years, that was dormant. You know, like that wasn't something that was a part of his life. So we're kind of looking at this for the next generation. Too. You know, I mean, this is something we could discuss briefly as well. I mean, with everything happening in June, and I know that you're aware of, you know, the different pieces of information coming out through the Pentagon and, you know, all the just, you know, disclosure, quote unquote, that's going on. You end up and, and it's a it's a, it's a very it's an interesting moment in time because what you have is uh, and I and I'll try not to be too broad about it but camp fear and and maybe camp love you know like you've got people that are going to fear it they're going to really fear it and they're just going to be played up in that way and I'd love your your opinion on this James because what you've got is you've got people that are going to fear it and then and we're on the other side. I mean, we have never experienced anything. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but we have tried to create a perspective in the documentary when we're documenting it. We're not, we're not afraid. We're not scared of the experience. <laughs> we're not scared of the people or, or anything. Um, this is for that next, it's for the 10 or 12 or 15 year old boy or girl who maybe has an experience and says, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not alone. I'm, I'm, I can talk about what's going on in my life. I can, I can tell these things. Rob could probably weigh in on the fact that when he, you know, it was very different for him in the 60s. He'll say, I saw a UFO. I know I saw a UFO. And then at the time, and Rob, if you don't mind, maybe mentioning about the reaction that your mom had, but then how that changed as time went on. Yeah, so, you know, I remember I had just left Scouts. She had told me, you know, when Scouts is over, it was at the church in Sarnia, just overlooking over the river to the States, St. Clair River that comes out of Lake Huron. And she had said, call me and I'll come and pick you up. And she says, go outside and wait outside because they have to lock up the church after Scouts is over. So I had called her and I was now outside and that's, when these kids that were playing in the street, they said, hey, mister, there's a uh, light, there's a helicopter up in the sky. I don't even know why they told me, but they did. I looked up and it was clearly not a helicopter. There was no sound. I didn't see any or hear any blades rotating. And it was just the way that it kept going back and forth. But when my mom arrived, I mean, I was getting a little nervous at the time because it was coming lower and lower each time it did this pass back and forth. And I, I remember getting goosebumps and thinking, you know, thinking that this was a UFO, that this was a so-called flying saucer because of the way it behaved. And I was worried that, is it going to abduct me? You know, because at that time, I think that was about the time the Betty and Barney Hill story. And I, and that was in the newspaper. So I remember that story of them being abducted. And I was fearing that this was going to happen to me all of a sudden. And just then my mom arrived. And when she, and I said, Mom, you got to get out of the car and see there's a UFO up in the sky. And it took me about half a minute to convince her to do this. And by the time she got out of the car, we looked up and it was gone. So immediately, I'm now this kid that's got this wild imagination. And she says, oh, it must have been a plane or a bird or a meteorite or a helicopter. And I said, no, I know what I saw. And I remember I was pretty quiet. It was pretty quiet in the car on the way home. And even when I got home, I tried to tell the story to my brother and my dad and everybody just laughed. So I just went into my room and did my homework and went to bed. It was the next day 
when I got home from school that my mom was all excited and she had the newspaper open. She says, Rob, what you saw last night is all over the newspaper. It's the buzz of the town. And uh, from that moment on, I was never afraid. So I was never in the closet about this because if people said to me, oh, you're just making all this up, I said to them, well, it was all over the front page of the newspaper and 200 people saw it in my town. So I have never been afraid to tell the story at any time, all the way along. You know, uh, I realized that, you know, many people over the years have been terrified to tell their stories because, you know, fear of ridicule is a big one. But for many men and women, it's fear that you might lose your job. You know, if your employer thinks you're a little bit wacko, all of a sudden you get laid off and you never get called back. So, and it's pretty important for people to bring in that paycheck. So for a lot of people, those are the two big reasons why they don't say anything. So never for once have, or any time have I ever worried about talking about this, even when we were on the movie set and people asked, has anybody got a UFO story? I was the first guy to tell the story because you know I was validated in the newspaper and I was you know the one kid at our school who had seen what was all over the newspaper and you know my people were coming up to me as if I'm the expert you know like my friend like how can I see a, a flying saucer and that's when I said why don't you why don't we both go on the roof of the house on a nice clear night and sure enough we didn't just see one we saw hundreds you know, to go across the sky from one horizon to the other in like a second or second and a half. Yet it's they seem to be in the heavens, like just far away in the sky, like along with all the stars. And to be able to go that speed right across from one horizon to another and then repeat going in the other direction 30 seconds later. So, you know, I've always, you know, it's not it's not that I'm a believer. I'm a knower. There's a big difference. You know, if you believe something, you're kind of kind of stepping out on faith. You don't really know whether it's true or not, but you have to believe, right? And for me, right from day one, it, you know, I wasn't a believer before that because I didn't have any experience, didn't even know about UFOs. So I went right from being ignorant about it to being thrust into being a knower of having an, an experience and not just one, but two. So um, we got kind of rambling here, but Mark, what was the original question here? Just, you know, that's perfect, Rob, because what it comes back to is, you know, normalizing, right? I mean, this is, a, this is a, there's normalcy to it. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of videos that are coming out on 60 Minutes and different things where the UAPs are being talked about. And so ultimately, James, to answer the question, an understanding of everything that we just said is to understand that Rob is the every person. I'm the every person. You're the every person. You know, we're not, we don't have an agenda, anything other than just documenting what we experience, learning from what we experience and handing that off to the next generation. So this becomes an alternative, right? This is alternative to those shock and awe videos of, you know, you know, those simulations from the past or, or, or anything. We're not into shock and awe, you know, cue the dramatic music. Like we're not into any of that. We're into, you know, this is a journey 
and we want to present the journey and we want to present we want to present the truths within that journey well and and i'd also want to add to that like you know hollywood everybody wants to sensationalize this and and put a fear factor to it unfortunately fear sells we had a chance over two years ago to make a nice deal with our material but the network that was involved who wanted to make the deal with us wanted the fear factor put in with it no way wow well marcus we talked about it. it's like well we can have a deal right now and sell our material i mean i've invested all this money into it and i haven't seen a nickel there's a chance right so pretty big motivation to at least get the money back but we refuse to sell our soul to the devil james you know we have not experienced any kind of a fear factor. They wanted us to add that into the material. We said, no, we turned around and walked away from the deal. Yeah. Okay. And, and further to that, um, you know, everybody knows um, Travis Walton's story. And we met with them at the, um, the conference there in Toronto. Uh, we had the, the WMD set up and I was one of the speakers and uh, Travis, uh, he was one of the speakers and we spent a lot of time with him talking casually. We spent time with him. Mark formally interviewed him as well, and the, the three of us. We invited him to come along on expeditions in the future. He said he might consider it. And he said, you know, his abduction, and you know, many there's many stories around all that and the whole fear factor. He says, these days, he does not look at it that it was like an abduction or something scary. He said it was an ambulance call. In other words, he got close to the craft and his body was damaged by this energy. They took him aboard to heal him. You know, he was gone for how long? Two or three days? Five days. I mean, he might have even been dead. Yeah, he might have even been dead or almost dead when they took him aboard. They, you know, healed him. They made him whole again, put him back together, and then dropped him off. You know, that's that's benevolence that's involved there. That's not fear. But, you know, the stories that have been written about him and all this, they're pushing the whole fear factor. And, you know, whether or not that truly exists, we don't know. We haven't been involved with it. Everything that we've been involved with this whole phenomenon is the opposite side. It's benevolent. It's, you know, there seems to be something here where whatever this is wants to help humanity. You know, it's almost like uh, a family member, a grandfather, a dad that's looking over its family or his family. You know, this phenomenon has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And if they wanted to harm us, they could have done it a long time ago, and they haven't. So, you know, nothing's changed today. It's just the way that people, um, they want to add the drama to it. They want to, you know, they want to add the fear factor to it. You know, even the government, people are worried that there's this false flag operation that's already ongoing, you know, in order to get money for funding for the military, whatever. But I can tell you that we haven't experienced any side 
that would show any kind of a fear at all. You know, we were totally enjoying our, these expeditions. We enjoy, you know, when we've, you know, we may have even made contact one time in Australia with what could have been an ET being, you know, there's a whole story around that. I can't say 100%, but to me it's 99%. But even in that situation, the person that was joining us that night for the Skywatch, uh, they were a little bit worried that this person or being that had showed up was there to take my equipment. So they were nervous. And I really, <laughs> I really think this being or person, whoever it was, you know, left because they didn't want us to be afraid. Everything I hear is that if you show fear, they will leave. They're really not out there to, to scare human beings at all. They're, they seem to be in the background looking over us like a shepherd who, you know, we, we blow up these atomic bombs that got their attention. And, you know, many times they've turned off uh, nuclear missiles. They've actually started the engagement of them and turned them off to show that they're around. Um, but, you know, they could even have launched them if they wanted to. Like, I mean, everybody knows in the UFO world about all these stories that are documented with the army and so on. Um, they're not there to hurt us at all. Yeah. And, you know, there's, I think there's something to be said about when you're going out with a intention to have a, a, a positive contact experience. That's what you generally get. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, over so many years, I've heard stories of, you know, people who have had, you know, negative encounters. And I, I don't want to discount or undermine what their experiences are. But from my own experience, um, both, um, you know, when I didn't call it in, I guess, if you want to say that, and uh, I just had an experience. Um, although at, at, the, at first, it could be a little jarring, because you're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but overall, I, I would consider it life enhancing and, and positive. And, um, you know, for the thousands and thousands of people I've spoken to over, um, you know, the last like 12 years or so, um, you know, they when when you're going out with the intention for positive contact, that's generally what you receive. Um, so there's definitely something to be said about that. Um, I don't understand the the idea of um, people having negative experiences, and I don't want to discount that, um, you know, just over the, the years. So that, that's something, you know, I'm, I'm trying to understand myself as well. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a very deep uh, subject and uh, it something has to be explored, you know, openly and, and, and uh, objectively. Um, but uh, getting to your guys, um, you know, journeys out there uh, and making contact, um, you know, from everything you've learned, um, you, you kind of rehashed on it a little bit before, but if you, if you were going to tell somebody who, who's asking, Hey, I, you know, I just want to go out and make contact. What would you advise them to do for the highest chance of success? Well, I would say get with other like-minded people. Don't go out by yourself. 
get with another person only for the fact that when you have something special occur, it's somebody you now have a memory with that you can talk about it in the future. For that reason, and also it, it helps to keep you sane. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you have something happen and you're by yourself, your mind can play big time tricks with you. And then not only that, nobody else is going to believe you. Even people who are ufologists or experiences themselves, you know, they, they may or may not believe you. So one, go out with somebody that's like-minded for those reasons. And two, just go somewhere off the beaten path. Because if you're very close to a, a, a well-traveled road or a highway, chances are if you're going to have a visitation, it won't be there. Because anywhere where we've had special things happen, it's usually away from uh, like a lot of traffic or a lot of people. So, you know, wherever you're going to go, go safely. Um, if you take lasers with you, I mean, there's a lot of people that say don't use laser beams. If you do, I mean, I can't tell you whether to do or don't, but I would say if you do, use them safely. Uh, if you see something in the sky, never shoot the laser at it because, you know, it, it could be a plane and you're going to be, the pilot's going to be blinded and you could have a, uh, you could get arrested. You know, they have ways of uh, triangulating back to where the laser came from and you could have the police showing up, you know, within the hour and get arrested. So if you're out there and you see things in the sky and you're pointing your laser, draw circles, draw big circles around it and never touch any object with the laser. We were in Mexico at an expedition and when we were flying home, the plane um, had lifted off and we were up maybe about four or 5,000 feet. And I happened to be looking down at the city below us just for fun. And all of a sudden, I got blinded by a laser flash. No way. Wow. Absolutely. So I have firsthand information what it feels like now. <laughs> oh, God. Tell you that when it happened, I knew instantly what it was. So I closed my eyes. Okay. I had enough good sense to close my eyes. You can suffer severe damage if you take a laser flash right to the eye. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of power there. So now a laser beam, as it goes up, it does spread out slowly. So it gets weaker and weaker. But, you know, we were only 5,000 feet up. I can tell you what it felt like was, first of all, it was painful. Second of all, um, it was like every part of your field of vision was light. Okay. And it was like shimmering and it was bright and it was, well, it was dangerous. So. I can't imagine being the pilots in our plane, what they experienced, they're trying to navigate the plane. So bottom line is, if you do use a laser, you know, use it in a controlled way. Do not shine it right at objects. I mean, people are all the time flashing them right at objects. How yeah. do you know it's not a plane? How do you know it's not a plane so far away that you can't see its nav lights? Yeah. So be careful about that. If you want to use it to bring attention to your, partner or whoever else is in the group that's fine but don't be touching lights with it in the sky you know? yeah and even if it was a an extraterrestrial intelligence or an interdimensional why why would you want to why would you want to you know put them through that well that's that to them either 
<laughs> I mean, if there are beings in that craft and they have eyes, you you know, that's kind of a hostile act. And do you think that they're going to cooperate and come down and make contact with you after what you just did? <laughs> you know, so be kind to them, you know. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people say, don't call them aliens, call them ETs, you know. Calling them alien is, you know, it's kind of derogatory, you know. That's a matter of opinion. ET is more friendly. So, and I would say for people going out, just set your intention that you want to make contact, uh, that you want to only make contact with benevolent beings. You know, the idea is to remain safe here. Um, and some people even imagine that they're covered in white light as a protection. I think that's something just for your own self, your own being. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, really, that's what you do. And just, you know, get yourself knowledgeable also. Um, we have gone through quite an evolution, Mark and myself, over what different things in the sky are. Okay, now, one of the big things that people confuse, James, are these rotating rocket bodies. Okay, and you'll hear many people saying about power-ups. Okay, yeah. now... We've been all over the world. I've got, you know, nine or 10 cameras on there recording all night long. I've got thousands of hours of video of the same things over and over and over again. I've done research and I can tell you that while it's pretty exciting to see a light all of a sudden come on and then go out. And then, you know, five seconds later, it's moved over and it does the same thing. 99%, not 100, 99%, it's a rotating piece of space junk, a rocket body. There's apps out there which detail thousands of pieces of junk. And what happens is, especially, you know, within the two or three hours after sunset, these rocket bodies are all still up there from when they launch these satellites. They're slowly turning. And what happens is it just comes... <clears throat> just comes into view where it's now acting as a mirror <clears throat> pardon me it's acting as a mirror and the sun is still visible at that altitude it's already dark on the earth but the, the sun is still visible up there and this rocket body is slowly turning and a shiny side reflects back the light okay so there's a power up so it comes on and as it continues to turn it doesn't then reflect the light on the other side, so it goes out. Here's how you can tell. You know, videotape it, and then when you play it back, see how many frames are between each flash. Now, if it's exactly the same number, chances are it's one of these rocket bodies rotating. Okay, so that's the biggest one that is the biggest fooler out there. It fools everybody, especially people that are getting into the um, observation arena and they're new and they're convinced that they just saw an ET, you know. So I would suggest that people read up on all this stuff. Uh, they document with their cameras and they use some logic. Now, people will say, well, can these ET copy? Can they copy? anything that's naturally up there? Well, yes, they could. So that's kind of like the 1%. That's the little asterisk in the corner that says, well, are you 100% sure it's a rocket body? Well, yes, if it's in the app and I hold my app up and it's in the exact same spot at the exact same time, 
But here's the caveat to that one also. Not all space junk is in the app. Right. Okay. Plus, you know, on these satellite apps, not all satellites are in every app. Yeah. Okay. We've got, you know, four or five different apps and I'll open them all and it, it, it may not even be in any one of them. It could be a military satellite. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I guess we've gotten to the point where we've got to be convinced. I mean, I, I want to make contact with an ET just as much as the next guy, but I don't want to get duped either. Yeah. You know, it's pretty embarrassing, especially when we first start it and we post stuff online and the more experienced people debunk it all and shoot you right down. It's pretty embarrassing. So we've gotten to the point where we try to debunk everything we see. And there's only a, we've only got a few handfuls of actual stuff that, you know, the experts, people at MUFON, people at other places have put a big question mark to it and says, well, it's nothing that we can explain. You know, the truth is, 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 you know, 95% and that figure could be a little higher, or a little lower, but 95% of what people report is explainable either natural phenomenon or man-made stuff that's been put up there. But, you know, we're okay with that. We're trying to zero in on that 5%. And we've had glimpses of the 5% now and again. It's pretty cool when it happens. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's something, If you know, if you're somebody who's serious about this, it's like it's something you just got to learn. You just got to go out there, look, you know, do the work, look at the sky and try to figure out, you know, be honest uh, self-honest what you're looking at. And, you know, for me generally, um, I, I swear, and this is how I think in a way you can get like a confirmation of something genuine, uh, you know, as soon as I question in my mind, wait, is this something, or is this like a, a genuine phenomena? It will usually do something where, okay, you're like, okay, it, 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 it responds to you and it, it will let you know that it is, um, truly the phenomenon you know another intelligence because it's not there to waste your time or to to make you guess it's generally gonna let you know so for me a lot of times as the second the question enters my mind um and it is something genuine it will usually demonstrate undoubtedly like you know stop and then change direction something along those lines we're like okay i get i get <laughs> i get the point uh but yeah that's a, it's a lot of trial and error so you got to go out there in the field and, you know, a lot of times you'll see something and you're, you know, you get excited, but then, you know, after you do some research and try to find out, you'll, you'll learn what that is. And that, you know, that, that could take a few years even, you know, of going out regularly um, where you get to the point where you have a very refined perspective, um, but, but it's still fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's what I would encourage people also look, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> look for those things that would be the little telltale or the wink in other words you know we all know satellites little lights that go across the sky but those are going at a continuous speed now if it stops and goes in a different direction aha yeah <laughs> that's not a satellite satellites are going at a constant speed in orbit you know so that would be that would make you very suspicious now of course the other problem we've got today is there's different uh, constellations of internet satellites being put up, Starlink, among mm -hmm. others. 
And I can tell you that recently there was a video that's going around the internet that you see this long light and it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I, saw it. I won't mention any names. Yeah. It's purported, <laughs> it's purported to be a ship. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, here's the thing. It <laughs> was taken with a camera that was in automatic focus. Yeah. Never, never, never leave your camera in automatic focus. Take it off auto and put it in manual and then just, you know, focus on a star and get it sharp and leave it there because everything you're going to see in the sky is set at infinity anyway. So, you know, unfortunately the camera that was used, it was green night vision. It was set to autofocus. And what happened is when it was first turned on, it tried to focus and it did. If you actually download that video using, uh, uh, what's it, keepvid.com or savefrom.net, one of those, you can take the video off YouTube and scroll through one frame at a time, James, you'll see in the first two or three frames, very beginning, you'll see it fairly sharp. The whole rest of the video, it's blurry. So all of it runs together as one long line. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And not only that, night vision tends to make everything look brighter than it is. And it, it makes something look bigger if you use night vision cameras. Okay. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. It, it makes it into one line. But the tail, the telltale is those first two or three frames of the video where most people have only just hit play and they don't even see it. Okay. But if you download the video and you scroll through frame by frame in those first two or three, you're going to see all the satellites all in a row. Yeah. Now, what happens is when Elon Musk sends the rocket up with all the satellite payload, they release them all together. So they're all in a row, one next to the other. And then over time, they will expand. And you will see like a sky train. Uh, where it's a whole long line going across the sky. Now, that too has been confused as, you know, a whole bunch of ET ships, but it's likely Starlink or one of the other uh, satellite companies that are putting uh, satellites up right now for the internet. And over time, they do expand and they do spread out. So, you know, it's only with reading and doing some research. The point I'm making is when you first get into this, it's kind of like when you buy a, you know, a white Toyota and all of a sudden you notice all of a sudden everybody's driving a white Toyota. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, nothing has changed. Nothing yeah. has changed. But your perception is, oh, my God, I've never noticed how many white Toyotas there are. are has there been a sale on or something? Like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> so that phenomenon also happens in the UFO field. When you get into sky watching, the very first thing you do is anything that's out of the ordinary that you see, you pronounce it to being an ET. Everybody does it. Yeah. But over time, you realize, look, nothing's changed here. Uh, I'm the same person. Is this maybe an effect just because I'm looking that I perceive everything to be an ET ship? So... What you've got to do, what we found is we went the opposite way. We, because we got embarrassed more than once, we really started getting diligent and did our research on every single so-called sighting we got. 
We took it to experts. We took it to MUFON. And we got told, you know, we took it dressing down. We, you know what, Rob, not, not to interrupt you, but that I think, uh, you know, I've wanted to do this for a while, but by, you know, you're somebody with the means to do it in a professional manner, like a, an episode or, you know, a dot part of the docuseries or, or even just for your YouTube channel of maybe a half an hour to an hour to an hour and a half just going all over these misidentifications and how to spot them. I think that would be an excellent education tool because, you know, that is something, um, I mean, that's, that's timeless, you know, and, you know, you can save somebody like me or you who's been out for thousands of hours (laughs) under the the night sky and have seen all this stuff and save some people a lot of time. Um, (laughs) We've done it by necessity because once you've been humiliated a few times, then you stop saying that everything is an ET that's up there, right? And when yeah. you've absolutely been proven by somebody who has got the experience, then you wind up, you know, doing it yourself. I can say there's a guy, Scott Brown. Yes, in the field. Yeah, excellent he's very guy. Good at that also, he's been yeah. out there and he's got lots of uh, videos where he has compared things and shown, well, this really is just a bird in night vision. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a triangular craft. Yeah, yeah. It's a bird. And, uh, you know, I've got video of the very same things. Um, you know, in, in some ways, it's disappointing, James. No, you, know, I, I, you know what? I, I At first, I think it is. But then I think it's, it enriches your experience. Because when you know something is an unknown, you know. Yeah. You know, because you've really come to that point where, like, you have, have got it you, down refined to a really fine point. Where if something does come along that you can't explain, even after trying to, to you know, look through every option, you're like, okay, you know, it looks like we got something here. Yeah, the the tough part is when you uh, get into discussions with fairly new people. Uh, yes, yes. They will fight you to the death. Yeah, that you're just yeah. trying to throw cold water on their experience. Yeah. And you know, it's really not so. Like I. I don't want to be duped, you know, we've all been duped and various things and it's not a good feeling, you know, kind of like the same. And it's kind of the saying that Mark Twain says, you know, it's very easy to fool people. And that goes for almost anything. It's very easy to fool people, but almost impossible to convince them that they have been fooled. That's one of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain. Yeah. Excellent quote. And you know what the importance in that, and, and this is something I've, you know, I, I created the first CE5 uh, social media back in like 2009, 2010, and I've interacted with the thousands of people. Uh, so this is something I see on a, on a daily basis and I, and I deal with and engage and I found, um, you know, the, the best approach you can do is, you know, let them know, listen, it's okay. Everybody's going to make these mistakes. It's fine. Um, you know, there's, there's no shame in that. Um, you know, people get excited when they first see something. Um, but when you see something like that, or when I do, I think the best thing you can do is make it a constructive experience. So even if somebody makes a post, which 99% of CE5 videos are misidentifications. And I say, I'll state that, you know, um, kindly that it's fine, you know, this is a, this is a learning tool and, and a teaching experience for everybody. So take a look at this and you explain why it is such, you know, politely, 
and and people generally seem to learn from it if you if you present it in the right way you know not everybody of course like you said there's some people that will not let it go and they'll keep posting those same videos uh week after week of of birds and satellites and you know the best you can do is at least for others watching the conversation you explain very politely and kindly you know in an edu educational way, why it is such and such, and and you know what to look for for a genuine uh, anomalous phenomena. Sure. Um, but I yeah, that's why I think we need like a a professional grade production or or some you know a high quality teaching tool um, to kind of dispel that kind of stuff where you know people can be referenced and say, hey, take a look at this. Um, it'll save you a lot of time and it, <laughs> maybe not so much excitement, but it'll, you know, I, I hope, you know, to contribute a little bit on my channel with some videos like that over time, but, um, you know, it's going to be a YouTube video, not, not a, uh, docu-series or anything. Um, sure. and um, I but, also say James, uh, you know, I don't want to belabor the, the whole point of misidentification. I'll just mention one more that is very, very common orbs yeah and and lens flares oh my god yes yeah. every day every day yeah. okay so there's a standard way to tell if your so-called orb is a lens flare it's very easy if you've got a picture and you and it typically with the smartphones it comes out as blue yeah right? comes up as blue so it's like, man, I've got an orb. Wow, everybody take a look at this, right? And I've had a lot of people send me this stuff, and I've had to kind of disappoint them gently, right? Yeah. How you can tell, this is 100%, is look where your orb is, and do not crop your photo. Take your original photo and look where the orb is, okay? Now, look where a bright source of light is. Could be the sun, could be a street light, could be a house light. Could be somebody in a group that shone their flashlight over to you. But anyway, take your finger and put it where the orb is. Take your other finger and put where the bright light source is. Draw a line across the frame. If that line goes through the middle of the frame, and if the uh, orb is the same distance away from the middle on that side as your light source is on the other side, they're exactly the same distance, and on the same line going through the middle of the frame, it's a lens flare. End of story. Yeah. 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 That's it. Right there. Yeah. And it happens often. Again, a lot of times it's new people. And best thing we can do is kindly educate them. Hopefully they take the message. But a lot of the times people uh, watching on the conversation will. So that's that's uh, a uh, positive. Um, but I, I did want to, to talk about... Um, your some of your contact experiences um out in the field um more more bigger picture right um both um you and mark so so you know you started out you had contact pretty early on but then now you're on this entire journey um do you have any kind of like takeaways um from from the contact something that that really sticks with you or stands out to you regarding um the contact well, I can, I can just, I can relate one story of what we believe was a being. I can relate that story to start with. I know, you know, Mark is more a philosophical guy than I am. Yeah. And I know he'll have some broader view information to share. 
maybe after I tell my story. Sure, sure. He's the guy that stands back and sees patterns and, you know, like I say, he's an English major and he knows yeah. how to <laughs> together. Yeah. I, I never did very well in English in school. Well, I was more of the science guy. I, I got yeah. like 93% physics and science and all that kind of stuff, right? But we were in Australia. It was that same trip. Um, Marcus and Liz had been out during the day getting B-roll. We were out in the middle of Australia at, um, what's the name of that rock? Uluru? Mark? Uluru. And it's also called Alice's Rock. Uh, he, he was out during the day getting B-roll footage with Liz, filming some of the other rock formations and a lot of that. It was pretty hot. They were pretty tired. So when it was time to go sky watching with the WMD, Marcus and Liz bowed out. They say, you and Lauren go out. I was out there with Lauren Firth. Lauren, uh, is it Kurth or Firth? Kurth. Yeah. Lauren Kurth, uh, she's a sky watcher. In, oh, uh, yeah, I know her. I know her. Yep. In Australia. And, and so the two of us went out. Marcus and Liz stayed back. And we had all the equipment set up. And... It, we had we had gone about 30 minutes from this resort now we're in the we're in the middle of the desert the road goes straight for hundreds of miles it's flat as far as you can see it's just desert there's a little bit of scrub bushes here and there and it's you know you can drive anywhere also because um uh it's just hard pack gravelly type desert and uh we didn't see too much and I think it was like one o'clock in the morning and we saw lights coming down the highway. We were off the road several hundred feet. Specifically, we picked an area where there was enough scrub and small trees that we couldn't be seen from the highway. Plus, we didn't have any lights on, James. We didn't want to attract any attention from somebody that might be going along the highway only because it's her and I in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, we're concerned about our safety. I'm in yeah. a foreign country. She's familiar with her own country. We didn't want to attract any negative attention of any kind. Bottom line is we didn't want to get robbed or have the WMD stolen. Yeah. So anyway, about one o'clock in the morning, we saw lights on the highway slow down. And we, it both caught our attention. It's like, oh, what's happening here? And we watched the car come in off the highway and find its way all the way back to where we were. Okay. Now, he didn't come. He parked about 30 feet away from where we were. And we looked at each other and we, our hearts were kind of pounding. We were getting nervous. We thought, this is odd. Very odd. We're hundreds of miles away from anything. How is it that a car, you know, it's the first car we've seen in probably over an hour or two hours. We're in the middle of Australia. How is it that this car came right to where we are? How is that possible? So we were nervous and the guy, you know, we saw his dome light on. He was turning it on and turning it off and messing around. And a few minutes went by and Lauren was getting nervous. And she says, maybe you should put your equipment away in the trunk lock it in the trunk so i took i think i took the thermal off or i did something and you know took some of the more expensive equipment and put it in the trunk and uh, you know i said well 
you know, if this guy tries anything, I've got my high powered laser in my back pocket. <laughs> she laughed at me and she says, well, what if he's got a knife or a gun? And I said, well, he can have all the equipment. Be my guest. You know, but I just thought, well, if somebody attacks us, they're going to get a laser in the eye, right? It's a pretty strong laser. So um, I said, I'm going to go over to talk to him. And she said, don't you dare. And I said, no, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm not afraid. She says, well, I'll come with you. And, you know, if you're going to go talk to him. So we went over and he got out of the car and bear in mind, there's no moon, it's dark, but I had my flashlight and I was kind of pointing it down so he could kind of get a, a little bit of light on his face. And this guy was your classic description of how people have said ET beings can be that are visiting us on the earth. The guy was tall, handsome, I think he even had blonde hair, even looked a little Scandinavian, as they say. And we began talking to him. And um, I was curious. I said, well, you know, just curious why you pulled in here. And he says, oh, I, I want to go sky watching. And I thought to myself, yeah. really? Are you saying that because you're reading my mind? Right. <laughs> and uh, he didn't have any sky watching equipment but uh i think he maybe had a pair of binoculars i don't know but that seems strange right off the bat going sky watching and why pick that place there's a ten thousand other places on that highway going across australia so as we continued talking um i noticed that he was talking without any real inflections like even now when I'm talking, there's a certain emotion in my voice. There's up and there's down and there's depth to the, the speaking. He didn't have that. Okay. It wasn't a monotone, but there was very few, I would call humanisms in his voice. Okay. And it was, it was, to be quite frank, it was very bland. Yeah. It was very, and I thought, well, this guy's kind of boring. But the more, <laughs> more, the more I listened to him, I started thinking, oh, my God, this guy could be an ET. And I'm saying to myself, think about it, Rob. What are the chances? And the more things he said, like he said that he had just driven 18 hours and he's going home for the weekend somewhere. And the outfit that he was in, he said he was in mining and... Honestly, the clothes he was wearing looked like they had just been bought from the store. Like they were, looked like they were freshly pressed, clean. And I looked at his face and there was no five o'clock shadow. And I thought for a guy that's just driven 18 hours in Australia, you know, it's hot. You'd think that he'd kind of have that sweaty look to him, that his clothes would be wrinkled a little bit from perspiration and there was no wrinkles to his clothes. I mean, it all seemed very odd. And I was now starting to get interested of how we're going to, you know, I'm going to drop the question to him. And then all of a sudden, uh, he said, he, I think he was picking up on Lauren's nervousness. Because he said, well, if you'd rather I go somewhere else... And I was thinking of how to keep him there 
before I could even open my mouth, Lauren said, that would be very kind of you, sir. And I had, oh my God, she just, <laughs> sent she just sent him away. You know, if you'd rather me go somewhere else. So he was picking up on her fear. Now, she wasn't showing any fear, but he was picking up on it. So he left. And then I said to Lauren, I says, you know, I think this guy was an ET. Like, think of all the stuff that he said. You know, nothing about his story makes sense at all. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, there was more things than that. Lauren could tell you the rest of the story. Uh, she picked up even more retroactively after the fact because we talked about it. So then we stayed there. We continued sky watching through the night and the sun started to come up and it was getting light. So we packed up the equipment and we headed back to the resort, which is 30 minutes straight down the road. There's no curves in the road. It's just straight down the road. And we got to the road where the resort was and I was, I had my blinker on to turn down the road where the resort is. And I had to wait because a vehicle went by. Now, I didn't notice the vehicle who was in the vehicle, but Lawrence said to me right away, Rob, did you see who's driving the vehicle? And I said, no. She said, that's our guy from last night. And I said, well, why is he going back to where we just came from? The guy said that he was going, he had many hours to go, to keep driving, to go home. So immediately I turned the car around and I stepped on it. Now this <laughs> all within seconds, like yeah. as, the second she told me it was our guy from last night, I turned the car around. I mean, there's no other cars around. I just did a U-turn on the highway after checking that it was safe. And I never saw the vehicle. Okay. This is the strange part, James, is she saw the car go by. I saw the car go by, but I didn't see the guy driving. She saw the guy driving. I turned the car around. And in the seconds, I would say the what? Four seconds or five seconds it took to turn the car around. There was no car to be seen. Now, it's straight and you could literally see 20 miles down the road. Okay. I stepped on the gas and I won't say what speed I was going, but we made it there in 15 minutes. Right. It normally was 30 minutes away, but we made it back to the spot where we were in 15 minutes and we never passed a car the entire time. So once again, was this an ET guy? I can't say 100%, but for us, 99%, it was. Now, so there was that confirmation or maybe a confirmation. You know, I never did see the car. She saw it. I didn't see it. Um, months later, I was speaking to a guy from Europe. It was on another matter, and we were doing a Skype call. And... While I was talking to the fellow, and he had told me he's quite psychic, we were talking about another matter, nothing to do with ETs or UFOs. He didn't know I was interested in them. I didn't know he was interested in them. We were talking about another matter, okay? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he blurted out to me, Rob, I'm getting a psychic flash. He said, you and a woman were in Australia and there's a third person, a man, and he's an ET. You made, you made contact with an ET being. He just blurted it out of, out of nowhere. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> it's bizarre. 
and 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 I and 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 I just was kind of shocked. And I and I said, yeah. And then I kind of told him the story. How the heck did he know? We had never told the story prior to that. So yeah. you know, that was another confirmation. Is it legit? I can't tell you. Was that an ET being? I can't say 100% for sure, but pretty good chance it was. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So now, um, uh, Mark, do you have any um, kind of like thoughts on like they kind of like a big takeaway from um, some of the contact experiences you guys have had over the years now? Um, again, philosophically or otherwise? Uh, um, well, as far as experiences go, a very prolific one for me was in um, Peru, 2019. It actually, Rob will remember this, it resulted at, uh, with an earthquake happening in my room that split the floor. I had been sick that night. I'd gotten quite sick. I mean, I don't know, 3.30 and 5 a.m. And I woke up and I heard a cracking, like something was coming through the wall. We videoed it, had film of all of it. Of course, we went online and we looked up if there had been any earthquakes in Peru or nothing. Rob was across the hallway, hadn't felt anything. Bill Crowley was with us as well. Someone else who's into ufology and he didn't hear anything, but everybody came into the room and my floor was all buckled up and split. Talking to Ricardo Gonzalez, who was there, he kind of confirmed things for me, saying, I feel that something has happened in this room. I feel something has happened to you. You know, within we went out to the Chilka Desert that night and had all kinds of, that whole trip was filled with many anomalous activities, like many different things, cars breaking down, batteries draining all leading up to going to Markawasi, the stone forest. Of course, everyone was joking the entire time calling it Marcus Wasi, and it was a lot of fun. And when I got there, I, I would have to say, it's probably a philosophical feeling is, and again, a lot of people can say, well, you're producing this, you know, so you're a producer, of course, you're gonna make it into something bigger. Well, anybody that knows me is I've actually never made a big deal out of anything. I've always just allowed the footage to speak for itself. You know, the question marks are the question marks. And when we got to Markawasi, I, well, I think we were in San Pedro, I believe was the town, um, the little town at the base of the mountain. And I just felt I'd been there. Like I 100% felt like I had been there at some level. So for me, I would say it's, yeah, I don't know. It's like an intuitive feeling, you know, like you feel that you're getting messages, you're, you're getting, you're being given little signs, little, little, little nuances, little things that happen. And even when I filmed something, like, how can I say this is the most honest thing I could ever say is I'm not a documentary filmmaker. Like I'm not, I'm not trained as a documentary filmmaker. I've never made it. I, I dabbled, but I've never, I, I spent, I, I spent 25 years making narrative, you know, narrative style films, story films. And, but maybe this will sound a little bit out there, but um, there's never been a moment in the last five years where I, have, where I haven't felt guided. Like 
Like, it's almost like they're saying, okay, here's the best angle. Come over here. Come over here. That might sound crazy talk. That might sound crazy. But I find myself in different positions, places, moments, having experiences that are in line with myself and in line with telling the story that I feel needs to be told. You know, and that's kind of my take on it. It's like, because I didn't have experiences when I was young. You know, I think Rob's got a sense of searching for the truth. He's, he, he had experiences when he was young and they stayed with him and they've affected his life. And for me, I feel like kind of just hit a point where I have to tell the story. So every experience that I have, everything that I've had has impacted my ability to tell that story. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's my philosophical story feel on it yeah no absolutely and uh, you know i can't tell you um especially experiencers um who are working on this issue i mean you hear that time and again that they were they feel like guided or nudged in a certain direction uh that they they wouldn't have um normally pursued and upon going in that direction there's something incredible really that they discover or find and it was like you know it was um, like incredible that they came to that um, when they otherwise wouldn't have really went in that direction. And it turned out to be something like vital or key to their path or journey. Um, so I, I definitely understand that. Um, now just um, closing out guys, cause I know we got to go here. Um, the, the, the docu-series where, where can people find information on the docu-series and then where will people be able to see the docu-series and when? I don't know. We don't know the exact date. Tubi has taken it. So Tubi has it. And Tubi US. So it'll play in North America. Um, I'm on top of that every day. For the actual day that it's going to drop. Because all four parts will come out on Tubi. And we also did a, a, a nice little opportunity with like YouTube. that. It's set in different countries, you know, North America and Japan, things like that. Um, best way to get information will be to go to our Facebook page because we'll definitely drop the information there. Definitely drop the, the information on the Global Explorer channel. Um, we were just told summer of 2021, you know, which is kind of starting right now, June, you know, June 3rd. But you should know relatively soon, James, and we'll let you know if you cool with you know maybe putting something in the description down the road or something so that people will know and uh we're excited for that yeah absolutely and uh hopefully you know after it comes out i could have you guys back on again to talk about it i'd love that because there are a lot of stories from north america europe and australia and peru that we just kind of touched on it but thank you very much for having us on your show it's been great thank you very much james yeah, definitely. So um, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. And um, I, I'll put uh, some of your guys' links in the description for everybody who wants to check out your guys' work, your YouTube channel, Facebook page. And I hope to speak to you guys soon. Absolutely. And we want you coming along on one of the expeditions coming up soon as well. I hope so. I would love that, man. And we'll definitely be in touch about that. You, yeah, you take care, guys. Thanks a lot, James.